Welcome to the podcast of San Diego First Church of the Nazarene. Our church is located at 3901 Loma Land Drive in the Point Loma area of San Diego. And we would love to have come you, uh, have you come and join us. We've got Sunday school classes that meet at 9 o'clock. We have church services that begin at 1030. One is referred to as the classic church service. It is at 1030 in the Ellipse Chapel. And we have a service that is called the Contemporary Service, and it begins also at 1030 in the Worship Center, which is also referred to as Brown Chapel. If you can join us, we would love to have you there. Um, But if not, you are more than welcome, and we invite you to continue to tune in to our weekly broadcasts uh, that are offered online, and we can dig into God's Word in that fashion. I also would like to let you know that next week, October 17th, Our church services will be combined. The reason for that is that we have, following the church service, a wonderful gathering out in our Friendship Plaza, a free lunch of chili, um, because following that, we are continuing a tradition that has been around here for quite a few years, a uh, pie auction and uh, chili time. This time it's going to be hosted by two characters out of our children's department, Barb and Star. And it is the Barb and Star live show telethon and pie auction. It's intended to raise funds for our kids to go to summer camps. So we hope you might consider coming to join us. That will take place right after the lunchtime. We would love to have you. This particular morning we are digging into Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 16. And it is uh, part of a series that we've been doing on Hebrews. We will be in Hebrews for several weeks. And so if you'd like to get your Bible and open up to Hebrews chapter 4, it would be wonderful for you to follow along in that fashion. Hebrews is not one of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John provide a biography in ways of Jesus. But there are other ways in which this is very similar to the Gospels in that the entire letter is about Jesus. In fact, it takes a larger view. It paints a picture of Jesus from the time of creation into eternity and examines the ways in which we think about Jesus. I talked about last week my Aunt Tony having passed away and the characteristic that so dominated her life, that she simply loved Jesus. There's so much that we can dig into in this book of Hebrews that at times seems very complicated, um, seems to dig into arguments and presentations of um, a, a way by which to consider our Savior that in some ways was very relevant to the audience to whom it was originally written. And sometimes we need to recreate that setting so that we can understand how it is equally relevant to us today. But in the midst of digging deep into God's word, can I encourage you to not forget that behind all of this is simply the admonition to love Jesus, to let that be the theme of your life, the pursuit of your journey, Let it color everything you do. Let Jesus lay claim to every aspect of your life. This particular book, as we mentioned last week, looks at the various characteristics of Jesus. Jesus is being the exact representation of the Father, of God. 
Jesus being fully human and fully divine. Jesus being at the beginning at creation, as I've already mentioned, being the sustainer of all things now, and being the one to whom all things come together, that Jesus Christ is the heir of all things. And so we learn about these different aspects of the one who walked on earth several thousand years ago, but to the audience that was first hearing this, it was recent history. Jesus had been seen. Jesus had taught. Jesus had been in their synagogues. Jesus had healed their sick. Jesus had been tried and crucified. Jesus was dead and buried, but on the third day rose from the dead. He appeared to so many as is talked about in the Gospels. And then Jesus ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father and there makes intercession on our behalf. So this is the story of Jesus. The reading really has two parts to it. The first two verses, 12 and 13 of chapter 4, talk about God's word. And then the next three verses, verses 14 to 16, talk about Jesus as our high priest. It's fascinating in that those who have selected this reading for this Sunday actually picked up the ending of one part of this book and the beginning of another part. Verses 12 and 13 are the conclusion of a portion that goes back into chapter 3, and verses 14 to 16 are kind of the introduction to an argument the author makes that spans several chapters. So with that in mind, let me read it. Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 12. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, in the course of my journey, I think I have had over 10 different dentists. I'm not sure that the dentists ever were pleased um, because I've had to have a lot of dental work. I have had numerous comments by various dentists that made me realize that what they found, um, they were going to have to do some work. I've had dentists who have said while they were looking in my mouth, oh, that's not what I expected. 
or oh no, or one time a dentist swore because something went wrong in my mouth. Now, all of these dentists apparently did not go to the class in dental school about customer care and customer service because all of these things made me feel terrible or made me nervous or made me anxious as about what was to happen next. And you're already nervous in a dental chair. Your blood pressure, I think, goes up as soon as you enter into the room where the dental chair exists. So those kinds of comments always posed a problem for me. But I'm sure it was an honest depiction of what the dentist would find inside my mouth. I have had quite a bit of dental work over my years. One doctor was kind enough to say that it was genetic predisposition to dental problems. So one more thing I get to blame on my parents. I'm not sure how true that was or if he was just trying to comfort me, but I try to pack, practice very good dental hygiene. Nevertheless, it appears that uh, I have had problems that have required all kinds of care, including root canals. I don't know if you've ever had a root canal. It kind of strikes fear in a dental patient. A root canal is both a description of a procedure as well as the area of a tooth that is being repaired. Underneath the enamel of a tooth is the dentin, and inside the dentin, at the very center of the tooth, is the pulp. And that pulp contains nerve endings. If bacteria gets into that pulp area, it can grow and fester, cause dental pain, it can become infected, it can create an abscess at the root of the tooth. Well, for these issues, a dentist needs to go in and dig out the bacteria that's inside the tooth so that the tooth can be saved. The nerve endings are removed and the tooth itself is flushed from the inside out. Now, in order to do that, the dentist needs to drill a hole into the tooth and then take instruments that draw um, the infection out or flush it out or small series of files that help to scrape out that portion of the tooth. You may be cringing in your chair right now, but it is a procedure that is done very often and with great success and it preserves the tooth because the tooth can continue to grow without the nerve endings. Well, part of what is amazing to this about me, for me, is that the dentist puts in what's called a, a dam that isolates the tooth and keeps anything from getting into the tooth and blocks out everything else, including the patient's tongue so that the tongue can't get in the way. The dentist uses the instruments and goes in there, and I have had dentists with very large hands. I am always surprised that a dentist can work inside my mouth in such a small space, looking at a very small problem, and get both hands and instruments in there to do the job of cleaning out the infection, the problem that is creating the pain, and provide relief. Well, that is a long illustration to talk about a modern-day application of this two-edged sword that is the description of God's word or God's voice or God's spirit speaking to us.
it is described as a as a fine instrument, a double-edged sword that can separate bone from marrow. It is obviously a metaphor, as is the image of dental instruments to get into my teeth to provide relief and provide healing. The metaphor that is used in scripture describes the precision of God's work. The precision of digging out that which is within us and separating out that which is destructive from that which is life-giving. God's wielding of this instrument, this Holy Spirit, the Word of God, is far more precise than any dentist or any physician or any work anyone can do. One of the things we need to realize is that everything is laid bare before God. We can't pretend. God's Spirit knows. I mean, the Scripture says that it separates soul and spirit. I often think of those as the same thing, but God knows how to, how to distinguish between the soul and the spirit, knows how to distinguish between thoughts and motives. That in that fine line, God's spirit begins to work in our life and all the ways in which we cover and hide and pretend and put on a, a veneer, the way in which we present ourselves to others, hoping that others will see us in a good light, the Holy Spirit, God's word, cuts through that and lays bare before us, if we will pay attention, that which leads us toward greed, toward lust, toward arrogance, toward abuse of power, toward an attitude that takes us away from God and sets up wedges between ourselves and other people and leaves us toxic with abscesses in our spirit, sometimes abscesses we don't even know about, but others do. They see it before we do. They recognize it in our attitude and the way in which we express ourselves. But even when they don't notice, God knows. And we need to stop hiding but allow God's Spirit to lead us and then follow as God exposes those things and invites us to subject ourselves to the Holy Spirit to be cleansed, to be purified, to be reconciled, to move from justifying ourselves to allowing Jesus Christ and what Jesus has done on our behalf to justify us. That's being honest before God. I love something that David De Silva identified in looking at this passage of Hebrews. His observation is that the author is trying to convey that their concern about the neighbors around them, those who are hostile toward their gatherings, hostile toward their faith, hostile toward their belief in Jesus, their greatest enemy is not that hostility. It's not from outward in. The greatest problem is what's inside of us. The concern of the author that the people would 
cease responding to God's will, cease ordering their steps so as they would continually be walking toward God's promise. They seem to be so concerned about their loss of status, loss of their economic footing, even loss of their physical safety. Those pale in comparison to the shift that happens inwardly when we stop listening to God's call, when we stop being obedient to Jesus' beckoning toward us. We have lost our first love, our true love, our love of Jesus. Well, we go on to this second portion of the passage, and it says, if we will recognize that the Holy Spirit's word opens us up and exposes all of those things for the purpose of cleansing, therefore, let's recognize we have this great high priest, one who knows us, who has been tempted just as we are, and yet did not sin. Even though Jesus did not sin, he's experienced what we've experienced and becomes our advocate, becomes the one who pleads our case so that we might come boldly before the throne, knowing that there we receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I find it fascinating the way in which our culture and every culture before us has vied for power. There is a constant vying for power. We see it at every level. There is a vine for power of political position, of political ideology, racial vine for power, vine for power between nations, trying to have the largest this or the biggest that, trying to flex our muscles and show that we can win in any battle so we are the ones who deserve the power. And then there is this frantic desire to retain power and hold on to it. And so we have debates between political parties. We have debates between um, philosophical ways of setting up our culture. Debates between who's in power and who's not in power and how a shift of power can take place. Now we have this statement that Jesus, the leader of our Christian faith, the one around whom all of this is built if we are a follower of Christ. Jesus gave up all power and became like us, identified with those who are broken, identified with those who are suffering, experienced the temptations that we experience, and went through it having given up all power, identifying with us even unto death. God exalted him beyond all others. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. 
It is interesting then that we are called to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, not to vie for power, but to surrender ourselves first to God, to willingly open up ourselves to that sharp-edged sword that begins to work out from within us the poor motives, the inherent sin, the tendency towards selfish endeavors and self-preservation. Instead, giving ourselves over to God and saying, God, I'm yours. Do with me as you wish. I surrender all my power to you. Help me to follow wherever you lead. Those are the steps of Jesus. Then in that posture, the vine for all other powers seems like trivial pursuit. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't care about those things, that we shouldn't engage in the conversations, but they no longer have a hold on us because of what our great high priest has done. Shown us a better way, the way of Christ, the way of surrender to God. So, this morning I invite you into that place where you might give yourself to the workings of the Holy Spirit in your life not try and wield the sword against others, but where you might once again simply follow what Christ has placed within us. The Spirit that might separate the attitudes of our heart, that we might allow God to remove those things and bring about our wholeness, our health, that those nerve endings that seem pricked by every change in culture and environment might instead respond to the touch of Christ, the grace and love of our Redeemer, that we might find justification not in what we have done, but in what Christ has done for our behalf. And then we no longer deal in power-broking, but we deal in grace. We extend that grace and forgiveness to others and show them where the true power is in living a life of love. I invite you into that this morning. I know God's Spirit works in ways that I could never understand. I hope this morning that you might consider allowing God's Spirit to speak into your heart and to bring to your mind those things that lead down a pathway of disobedience, lead down a pathway of hurt and pain. Or maybe it's simply confessing, feeling all alone in the midst of your suffering and allowing God to come as the great high priest, loving you and showing you the pathway. Much like last week's story of Harriet Tubman leading others out of slavery to freedom, how much more so God's Spirit will lead us out of our own slavery to freedom. So this morning, maybe this is a morning where you say, Oh, Holy Spirit, come. Look on my heart. 
Show me if there be any wicked way in there. Cleanse me and make me whole, and make me fully thine. Move me away from being a power broker, and instead, Lord, help me to deal in the currency of love and service to others. Commitment to you. So, Father, will you this morning guide us, help us to hear your voice, and then help us to follow all of the things that are without us that cause us anxiety or fear, cause our blood pressure to go up, cause our anger to escalate, cause our hurt or pain to show its true colors. Lord, will you show us the pathway to reconciliation and love to you. May we give ourselves fully to the cause and the calling that you've called us to. May we be fully yours, Lord, I pray. Amen. Now go in God's grace and God's love. Be a purveyor of the very thing that Jesus Christ has provided for you. Have a wonderful week.